Today, um, <laughs> this is a really interesting topic. Today, we're going through the book of Luke. So we're just walking uh, through the story of Jesus. And we've hit this story of Jesus today, and we'll read it in a second. But it's like basically the essence of Christianity. It's like the heart of what it means to follow Jesus. Like, so um, if you are on a journey or you're new to Jesus, like you're here today, this is a great Sunday to be here because this story of Jesus is like the main thing. This is like what it's all about. And so uh, we're gonna dive into a story, but before we do, I wanna show you something. Um, this is a uh, wooden cross that a friend of mine named Warren uh, made for, for me. Uh, back in the spring, we did a series on the kingdom of God. We were like, what is the kingdom of God? And we talked a lot about the kingdom of God being um, the way in which Jesus is putting the world back together. And so what my friend Warren did uh, is he took a bunch of pieces of wood, broken pieces of wood, and he put it together and he made a cross. And I love this cross. This cross uh, is in my office. And so it's there when I meet with people. It's a reminder that God takes broken pieces and puts them together. Um, and I love this. It's a gift. But he actually made two. He made two. And uh, this week, um, the second one uh, was broken. And I'll, and I'll just put it up here. So it broke. And someone showed it to me. They said, oh, the second cross broke. And these broken pieces, when I looked at them, it's, you know, supposed to go something like, like this. Actually, this one's really, this one's really beautiful. Uh, I don't know if you can see it, but this one just has a cross, but this one actually has like the arms of Jesus open, you know, outstretched. It's really nice. And um, I was so bummed out. I was like, no. It was kind of handed to me like broken like this. And I was like, no, I love these, I love these crosses. It means, they mean so much to me. And, um, and uh, if you know anything about me, uh, I've said this multiple times, and it's, I'm not making it up. I, I actually am really bad at fixing things. And uh, so, some of you guys are like, and gals, guys and gals are fix-it people, right? So you're like, you're like, I never call anyone for anything. I go to YouTube and figure it out myself. And, uh, and you're, you're weird. You're, you're different. Uh, you, you are unaware that the, a lot of people in the world don't know what they're doing. Um, and we, we watch those YouTube videos and we're still confused. Um, and we wander around the halls of Home Depot, aimless, and waiting for that person in the vest to give us any time of day. And they never do. Uh, uh, but anyway, so this, this thing, um, I was looking at it and I was like, man, I cannot put this back together, especially because, you know, I'd grab some Elmer's glue and try to figure it out and it just would not work. And then I noticed there's parts that are actually like, like splintered off, right? So it's not just like put it solidly back together. It's like there's whole sections that aren't there. So I'm like, well, I can't fix that. And good thing uh, Warren is so kind. <laughs> I sent him a message and I'm like, to the master craftsman, right? To the carpenter, the woodworker. And I said, could you help me? And uh, actually this morning, he was like, absolutely, it's easy to fix. And I'm like, yeah, easy for some. Uh, and so he says, it'll be great. And he's like, and when I put it back together, those places will be uh, uh, less breakable than they once were. Right? They're gonna be stronger uh, than they once were. And I was like, okay, cool, that's great. But it, but it was interesting that this happened this week because when I was studying this message uh, about Jesus, you know, I was working on it on my computer, I was reading the text, 
And then I looked over at the broken cross and I thought, yeah, yeah, this is my life. This is my life. Uh, there's broken parts of me that I cannot put back together. And, and I'm wondering when the great artist, that's God, when God is going to put the world back together. How is God going to put me back together? How is God going to put our broken relationships and um, our broken bodies and our broken um, hearts uh, back together? And uh, when will God make all things new, right? And that's the question we have today. That's the question we're going to explore today. And in Luke chapter 13, we encounter Jesus and we read the following story, starting in verse 10. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you're set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, You hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. So this is the word of the Lord. And so we come to you, God, and we would ask that in the coming minutes, you would give us a vision, a picture of what you're doing in and through Jesus. God, that you would show us the way in which you are taking a broken world and you're putting it back together in him, in Jesus. Lord, for many of us who are here today and we have no hope, we're feeling hopeless. We're feeling too broken, too far gone, too messed up. God, remind us of your love. Remind us that you're not done and that you're the great carpenter. You're the great artist and you can put us back together. And we pray this in your name. Amen. All right. So what we're going to do is we are going to dive into uh, the first three uh, verses of our chapter, chapter 13, and we're going to just walk through the story. And we're going to try to go back in time. Uh, just a reminder, anytime we read the Bible, uh, we are reading uh, stories that took place 2,000 years ago, okay? So uh, there's going to be some words, there's going to be some images, there's going to be some things in the story that we don't immediately understand, and we're going to try to bring some clarity to, uh, to everything in the story. All right, verses 10 to 13, again. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, woman, you're set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. When she didn't notice that, she straightened up and did what? Praise God. Beautiful. So what's going on here? So Jesus is teaching on the Sabbath. Well, what is the Sabbath? Well, I want to let you know that this Sunday is going to be a deep dive into Sabbath. So I'm going to say a lot more in a few minutes on the Sabbath. Uh, but all you need to know for now is that 
that, that God's people, the Jewish people, were called to work for six days and take one day a week to rest, to not do anything. And there were a bunch of rules around what you could do or not do on that day, right? Because you were supposed to just like totally rest, no work at all. Now, Jesus is in a synagogue, and so that's a Jewish place of worship. So just imagine in your mind, picture him. He gets up. He's in a place like this, right? So uh, it, there's, there's a synagogue leader, right, who's probably in charge. He's like the pastor. Uh, he'd be like my role, but he sits down because Jesus is in town. Oh, how awesome would that be? So Jesus comes into town, comes into Walnut Grove, and I'm like, I'm definitely not preaching today. Jesus, you preach, right? And uh, so he gets up. So he's, he's teaching in a local synagogue. All right. And he sees this woman who is crippled, bent over for 18 years. Imagine her experience. Fully bent over, right, for 18 years. Um, feeling like she's looked down upon, both physically, but socially as well. Never able to straighten up and look people in the eye. You know, many of you probably have back pain or you struggle with your back. Some of you see physio, your physical therapists, uh, you know, you go to physio or uh, uh, chiropractic office, didn't say that right, uh, and you go, and you're just like, ah, I gotta get my back fixed, right? It's a need, but imagine this woman, 18 years bent over. What was her life like? Now, it's very interesting because this woman isn't coming to Jesus to be healed. Jesus sees her. He sees her, and he sees her in the crowd, and he goes, okay. He's filled with compassion for her. This shows you Jesus' heart. Right? He's filled with compassion, and she's on the margins probably in life, but he comes towards her, and he lays his hands on her. It's a powerful moment. And imagine, verse 13 says, he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Like what some of you are you know, think a lot about backs, like biology, like what was going on in her back when that happened, right? Can you imagine watching it all be put back together, right? Just snapped together. And she praises God. The very first thing she does is she's just like, God, I love you. God, thank you, right? She just has this heart filled with thankfulness. It's beautiful. All right, verse 14. Indignant, look at that word, Verse 14, indignant, who do you think is going to be indignant? The religious people, right? Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. The synagogue leader said to the people, there are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. All right. Indignant. This is the response of the religious leader. Now, go back, go back. To, okay, so... His deal is that God's law had said no one is supposed to work, so no one should work. And Jesus, you're healing someone, that looks a lot like work. You shouldn't be working. Okay. <laughs> now, the Jewish leader is right. In the, in the, in the Jewish law, uh, we do see this command not to work, and we'll get into this in a minute. But Jesus is healing and the synagogue leader is missing something. The religious guy is missing something. He's not seeing in Jesus. Now, now imagine my response. 
is if there was a day and I, I sit down there and I'm just like, Jesus, you come preach. And then Jesus is up here preaching and he sees you guys and then he comes to your life and a few of you, he's like healing you from like cancer and healing you from other stuff. And you're just like, amazing, this is beautiful. Um, uh, everyone else is saying it's beautiful, but I get up and I'm like, Jesus, stop it. Jesus, stop it, right? I mean, how would you guys be feeling? Like, Matthew, get off the stage. Good things are happening. Move, right? That's what you'd be feeling. But this religious leader is saying, listen, God said we're not supposed to work on the seventh day, and it's the seventh day, so there's no work. She can't be bent over for one more day. Come back on Sunday, tomorrow. The Sabbath was on Saturday, right? So he's like, come back on Sunday. Come back on Monday. The office will be open on Monday. You can heal then. Why do you have to heal what, by breaking the rules, Jesus? It's like Chick-fil-A. Always closed on Sunday, right? You want a burger? Come on Monday. No burgers on Sunday for you, right? It's the religious leaders, right? I love Chick-fil-A, but t- today, Tanya and I and the kids are going to go spend a few days in California, and so like, I'm getting in my van just right after the service, and I was so excited, so I put Chick-fil-A in the message today, because I'm excited about Chick-fil-A, it's like Marysville or whatever, and then this morning at the 9 a.m., I realized it's Sunday. It's like, get your burger Monday. We are not serving anyone today, and so that's what the religious leader does. He puts a, we are not serving anyone today sign on his synagogue, right? Not today, Jesus. And yet he doesn't realize that this is the perfect day for healing. The perfect day. And I'll expand on that in a second. Because Jesus is bringing God's beautiful Sabbath rest to the moment. Where's the joy? Where's the excitement from this leader? So reading on, verse 15, we read this. The Lord answered him, you hypocrites. Just so you know, I love Jesus, right? There's some just, you hypocrites, okay? He doesn't hold back. Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? Let me just pause there. So Jesus has some cutting words for these religious leaders, right? He says, you hypocrites, it's a Greek word, Hippocrates. It's, it's from the Greek theater world, right? It's, it's uh, one who wears a mask. Uh, two-faced is what we would say. You're two-faced. You're wearing a mask. Because Jesus is going to say this. Now, this is really interesting. Follow this argument that Jesus is making. And these are my own words. He's, he's saying to this religious leader, you know how to treat your farm animals better than you know how to treat people. You'll treat your animals better than you'll treat your own people in your own synagogue. So here's what he's saying. He's saying, let's get practical. Right after synagogue, okay, remember, we're going back 2,000 years. Imagine you're a Jewish person in a synagogue, right? You're sitting there. And Jesus is saying to the leader, after synagogue, you're going to go home, you're going to walk to your house, and there's your ox and there's your donkey, and they're going to be parched because you haven't been around this morning. And they're going to be like panting, right? And it's going to be hot. And what you're going to do is you're going to untie them and you're going to like walk them over 
and you're going to walk for a while, and you're going to lead them to water so they can drink. You're literally going to unbind them, untie them, and you're going to lead them to water. This is how you treat the beasts in your own house, right? Sounds like you're working, right? Sounds like you're working. Well, I'm not working. I'm just untying them and leading them over to water. Okay, you're not working, you hypocrite, right? This is what Jesus is saying. Because here's a woman, a daughter of Abraham, from your own family tree. She's been bound for 18 years. She's been tied up for 18 years. On this day, this Sabbath day, should she not be untied, healed, set free, liberated, unbound? How do you treat your people, synagogue leader? You treat your animals better than you treat your own people. Now, quick note about Satan. Uh, that's an interesting little moment where you're like, whoa, Satan uh, showed up into the passage. Now, just so you know, th- there are moments in the Bible where Jesus interacts with kind of these dark powers, like demons and stuff like that. This is not this story. Uh, it's very different. This story is very different. Um, uh, she is not possessed in this moment. So why does he bring up Satan? Well, Jesus sees Satan. We have to enter into Jesus, how Jesus views the world. Jesus sees that Satan is the great enemy. He is the one who is uh, continuing to bring brokenness into the world, um, pain, suffering, all kinds of sadness, sickness. He's breaking the world. Satan just keeps breaking the world. And Jesus is in the business of being that great carpenter who's putting the world back together and he's healing the world and he's putting it all, all the, he's undoing all the brokenness and healing the world. And so there's a great battle, right, between Satan and Jesus, but Jesus is restoring, healing, putting it all back together. So that's why he brings Satan up. Satan's breaking the world, Jesus is healing it. Verse 17, when he said all this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. Notice, what are the people doing? They're delighting. The common person is like, yes, I love that. And the, li- and the leaders are humiliated. It's a mic drop moment for Jesus. It's another great day in the office for Jesus, right? It's a beautiful story of his healing. But what I want to do right now is do a bit of a deeper dive into the Sabbath. And th- I think this is going to unlock kind of a, uh, the, the heart of this passage for us. The Sabbath. So what is the Sabbath? When well, Hebrew, Shabbat just means stop, stop, or cease. Sabbath, it's a day to stop. In the book of Exodus, chapter 20, uh, we read about God's 10 commandments. Well, this is the fourth one. This is number four. Uh, the fourth commandment, to stop. One day a week, on the seventh day, uh, you work for six days, But on the seventh day, just stop. Stop the whole thing. Don't go out into your fields. Don't do it. Go to worship. Enjoy God. And then go home and play some board games. Take a nap. (laughs) Enjoy some good food. Right? Rest. Rest. Don't do any work. Enjoy this one beautiful day. And just so you know, the Sabbath was a reminder of freedom. Freedom, freedom from captivity. Some of you will remember the story of the people of Israel. They were slaves in Egypt, but God led this 
prophet named Moses to kind of free them from slavery. And in Deuteronomy 5, we read this. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. The Sabbath day. So, so what is the Sabbath day? It's a day to remember we're not slaves. We're not captives, right? We take one day a week and we go, no, I will not work. I'm not a workaholic. I, my job doesn't own me, right? I'm no slave. I'm no captive. Some of you are thinking about your jobs and you're like, yeah, that sounds good, right? Yeah, you're not a slave, right? You're not a slave to, to the money, to the, to the system, right? To the work, right? You're not. Work is good, can be very good. But work is a beautiful tool. It's what we set our hands to do. Many of you are talented in different ways. It's awesome. So all of us in the room, we all scatter everywhere around the city and we do different things. But there's this day where we remember that we are no longer slaves. We're not captives. So it's a, it's a day of freedom. By the way, a little nerdy fact. Did you know that the Sabbath has no parallel in the ancient Near East amongst uh, people in the ancient world. There's a lots of similarities with the Jewish law, uh, lots of different laws that are very similar uh, to other ancient cultures, but this one, there's no parallel. Uh, a writer from Yale, uh, William Hollow, in a book called The New Moon's, New Moon's Document, he makes this argument. He says, you, you just look around the ancient world. No one else had, was practicing the Sabbath. This really made the people of Israel unique. It made God's people really interesting, right? They'd work for six days and they'd take the day off. Now, I wanna show you something amazing that I missed for many years. Many of you in the room have read the very first chapter of the Bible, Genesis 1 and into Genesis 2, right? The first two chapters of the Bible. I know many of you in the room have read it. And when you're reading it, you see these six time periods that God is like making the world. So certain things happen on day one, and at the end of day one, there's a little, little line that says, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Do you guys catch that? Right? There's evening, and there's morning the first day. And then God does a bunch of stuff on day two, making the world, and it was like, there's evening, and there's morning the second day. And then day three, day four, day five, even up to day six, on day six, right? All of these things are created. There was evening, there was morning the sixth day. But when you come to the seventh day, and if you want to fact check me, you can. It's the top of chapter, the beginning of chapter two, Genesis two. On day seven, it says that God rested from creating the world. Day seven, God sits back and he looks at his creation and he goes, oh, it's so good, right? And he rests on day seven, right? And we have this picture of like, oh, that's the day God took a nap. No, that's not really it because there's no line at the end. There was evening and there was morning, the seventh day. Check it out, it's not there. So in chapter two, the Garden of Eden is God's seventh day rest. What does that mean? It means day seven continues on in the garden. That the Garden of Eden is just a picture of humanity being right with God, right? They walked with God in the garden. And then relationships were good between human beings and with the world around them. The food was good. The relationships were good. Them and they and God were good. It was like all the world was at rest. 
All of the world was working right. That's the Garden of Eden. So the Garden of Eden is God's day seven that continues on. And the whole plan was for it to continue on forever. We enjoy God. We enjoy one another. There's no sin. There's no brokenness. There's no sickness. There's no pain. There's no death. It's perfect, right? But what happens in chapter three? We call it the little louder, the the fall, the fall. And it's the moment sin comes into the world, right? Right? And, there's, and all of a sudden, sin comes into the world. And this is a moment when pain and brokenness and sadness and dysfunction enter the human story. Already in chapter 3, right? And so what does God do? God calls his people, and he gives them one day. And he said, this day, taste a little bit of Eden on this day. Because what would a Jewish person do? They'd go to synagogue. They'd walk with God, right? Like Adam and Eve in the garden, they walked with God. So you come to worship and you walk with God. And then you go home and you enjoy good food. And you enjoy friendships and you enjoy family. And you rest, right? And you're no longer a slave. It's like, it's like once a week you're experiencing Eden. You're experiencing a slice of a world made new. Are you following what I'm saying here? Does this make sense? It's a day seven that goes on forever. That's what the Sabbath is all about. So here, when Jesus is on the Sabbath, sees a woman bent over, hunched over, Jesus is going to offer her rest, a slice of Eden, right? Because what happens to her? She's physically healed, but then she also praises God. So she's got this vertical praise and this horizontal healing in her life, right? She's brought out of the margins and she's, she's part of society again. She can work again. She can live her life again. So she's restored, restored with God and restored with others, restored physically. It's like Eden, boom, slice of Eden, slice of God's rest. She gets to experience it that day. And this is something the synagogue leader is completely missing. Because here's the point. Jesus is the walking around Sabbath rest of God. When you look at the life of Jesus, it's not just about one day anymore. It's about like wherever Jesus goes, people are experiencing rest. Wherever Jesus goes, people are experiencing restoration. Wherever Jesus goes, people are tasting a slice of Eden. It's like they're back in the garden where all things are good right? The poor are being fed. The sick are being healed. Forgiveness of sins is offered. The bent over are now straight up, right? Jesus is putting the world back together. Putting the brokenness back together. Healing the world. It's coming together, which is the hope we have today, that Jesus would do that in us. But I want to I wanna just expand a little bit on what the synagogue leader is missing. He's so consumed with the fact that Jesus is breaking the law that he's missing the forest for the trees. And I want to provide a bit of a lighter example of this in our world. Um, what was the holiday we just celebrated this last week? Shout it out. St. Patrick's Day. Yeah, there was not a lot of confidence in the room about that one. I feel like it is a uh, kind of a, you know, missed kind of holiday here, you know. We're kind of like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. pinch each other, sure, yeah, no problem. Yeah, I think I've got green somewhere, yeah. 
it's kind of lost its, its zest. But some of you will know, March 17th, St. Patrick's Day, is a day to remember a Christian man named Patrick who brought the good news of Jesus to an island called Ireland, right? And uh, he told the Irish people about Jesus, and they came to love Jesus. <laughs> so it's, a, it's a cool story, right? Um, are you thinking that when you're drinking your shamrock shake from McDonald's? Are you going, hmm, yes, Jesus in Ireland. Yes, that's what I'm thinking, right? Uh, such good news. Hmm. It's probably not what you're thinking, right? And, uh, and there's, you know, this, all this stuff about leprechauns and, you know, rainbows with pots of gold and, you know, this whole thing, right? And, uh, and it, we kind of get lost. But the, where we really get lost is in this rule of, about wearing green. And I'm, I'm just going to make a, an analogy to the Sabbath here. So when you wake up on St. Patrick's Day, uh, as happened to me a few days ago, all of a sudden I got pinched by my son. Like, Ow! What's going on? He's like, you're not wearing green. I'm like, oh, right. Uh, it's early in the morning. I was making a coffee. I'm just like startled out of my... There's these rules, okay? So there's these rules about wearing green. And what happens is there's an inside crew, and they are, they're wearing green, and there's an outside crew, and those outside crew are the pagans, the sinners, right? Those who forgot, uh, who don't own green. Um, and so there's an inside crew and an outside crew, and there's physical punishment if you were on the outside of, of, this, of this tribe. And in the same way, this, I'm drawing a parallel to the Sabbath, the same thing happened. There's this day that's set aside, and there's a rule that you need to follow. And if you don't follow it, there's consequences. And actually, this is kind of serious. The consequence for breaking the Sabbath was death. Right? It's not just a pinch or a punch. It's death, right? And so all of a sudden, we, we go, okay, so while we're thinking about shamrock shakes and, you know, leprechauns and stuff like that, are we missing the point? Are we missing the point? Are, are we... Are we no longer celebrating the gift of Jesus to Ireland, but it's all about what colors of clothes we're wearing. And in the same way, you go back 2,000 years, and the same thing is happening with the Sabbath. Every Sabbath day, that seventh day, was about something beautiful. Every seven days, Jewish people were invited to taste God's rest, his provision, his freedom, his life. But the religious leaders made an in-group and an out-group, and, and there was a punishment if you broke the rules, Right? Are you following the analogy so far? Is it working for you? Not for some of you. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna actually go deeper into the analogy and therefore lose some of you completely. <laughs> so, so follow the analogy. Now, imagine if I traveled to Ireland and I was worshiping Jesus in Ireland, right? Well, then I'm experiencing the fullness of what St. Patrick's Day was all about right? I don't need the shakes and the green and the pinching and the, all of that. I'm in Ireland. I'm like worshiping Jesus in Ireland. You don't need the day when the fullness is there. And in the same way with the Sabbath, right? Jesus is saying, you're so consumed about the rules about this day when I'm here. When everything the Sabbath was pointing to is here, Jesus is here. Jesus is a walking around Sabbath rest of God. You don't need the day when the fullness is here. And North Langley, the fullness is here today. He's with you now, right? That's the audacious hope that Christians have, is that Jesus is in the room right now. 
And he's with you. And he's ready to put you back together. And it's no longer about a day a week. It's about him. It's about his rest. It's about his healing. It's about his power. It's about his love. It's about his freedom. It's about today. And how God is going to start to put you back together through Jesus. God's rest is in this place because Jesus is here. He throws his arms out wide and he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. And those same arms that are outstretched are the same arms that were outstretched on a cross and they were nailed to two pieces of wood because he loves you and he would give up his life for you and he's inviting you into his rest. Now really quick, I'm very aware that today the story is actually about physical healing, right? 18 years of someone who was physically uh, not healed. And the question many of us have is, does God promise us physical healing? And the answer is complicated because it's yes and no, right? Um, Yes, God does promise each of us full healing, that there will be a day that we look forward to. We have a great hope as Christians of a day when God will make the world right again. And we don't know when that day will come, but that we look forward with great hope. And we believe that God is going to give us a new heavens and a new earth. Basically, that means God is going to fully restore the world and put it back together. And all of our sicknesses will be healed, will give new bodies, right? That we're just, everything will be right again. We look forward to that. And that's a promise for all of us, right? It's, it's an offer for all of us. So full healing will come one day, no matter what we go through physically. But in the same way, no, we're not all offered complete physical healing in this life. Many of you who are Christians will have moments where you pray for someone and it's like something miraculous happens. They're restored, right? And I've had that experience in my life. I've prayed for multiple people who all of a sudden you're like, you're better. This is a miracle. This is amazing, right? Also, we see God working through the intellect and the skills and the talents of our medical community through medicine. It's beautiful, right? I love that. So whether miracle or medicine, God does beautiful things, And we want to just celebrate all of that. But many of us in the room have had experiences where we pray for people and nothing happens. And why does that happen? I don't know. I wish I knew. I don't know. I don't. Some of you know the story of Johnny Erickson Tata. When she was 17 years old in 1967, she went to the beach one summer day. She dove into the water but misjudged the shallowness of the water and tragically broke her spine. For over 50 years, she's been paralyzed from her shoulders down. She's been prayed for, but healing has never come. She's battled suicidal thoughts, depression, doubts about the goodness of God. But she actually writes this about her pain. Um, She says, quote, He, that's God, has chosen not to heal me, but to hold me. The more intense the pain, the closer his embrace. So Johnny Erickson Tata has found a version of healing in this life. She knows that one day she'll receive a restored body one day. But she's felt the nearness of God even within her pain. 
And in a sense, God is putting Joni back together, right? But in maybe a different way than she assumed or expected. And so we live in this tension right now, but it shouldn't keep us from praying for healing. Whether through miracle or medicine, that God would restore our friends and heal our loved ones. And so we pray, this is a prayer that Christians pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because in the heavens, all is good. And we want all the goodness of the heaven to invade the earth and to put us back together. And this is what we're praying. Your kingdom come, your will be done in the life of my friend, in my loved one's life. And T. Wright says it this way, heaven and earth meet when in the spirit someone calls on the name of the Lord and it means what it means and does what it does because God's new time has broken into the continuing time of this saddled world so that the person praying stands with one foot in the place of trouble, sickness, and sin and with the other foot in the place of healing, forgiveness, and hope. That's prayer. North Bangley, that's prayer, is that with one foot, we're standing in, the, in, in, in this, the presence of the Lord, and we're saying, God, would you come? With the other foot, we're standing in a place of sickness and pain and dysfunction and brokenness, and we're like, God, all the goodness that you have, would you do it here in the life of my friend? Would you do it here in the life of my loved one? Would you heal the broken places? That's prayer. That's prayer, and we're invited to pray. And Jesus' arms are flung wide open to all of us in the room. Come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Come to me, all of you. And what, can you imagine a life of rest? Rest from chasing a certain image? Rest from chasing after the newest, the shiniest, the best? Rest from chasing after the approval of others and people-pleasing? Rest from the brokenness of sexual addiction and chasing after a false intimacy. Rest and healing from the greed, from the anxiety over money, from the fear of not having enough. Rest and healing from the image that I'm constantly curating on social media. Rest from fear, from bitterness, from envy, and from anger. Could we use that kind of rest? That God, like he did with the woman who had been bent over for 18 years, would come into our broken life and heal us. That God would take our bent over lives, our crippled hearts, and he would allow us to stand again, restored. Do we feel the world is broken? We do. Do we feel the shadows deepen? We do. But do we know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? We do. And do we wish that we could see it all made new? We do. We do. I wish that I could see it all made new. Made new. Put back together all of our brokenness. I would invite you, if you're willing, to close your eyes and we're gonna spend some time praying. With your eyes closed, I would just remind you that Jesus, the artist, the master craftsman, the carpenter is here in this place 
and he offers you God's rest. He offers you a slice of Eden. And so where do you need the rest of God? Where do you need to be made new? Think about your life and in, in what ways do you need Jesus to untie, unbind, or loosen something in your life? As you see the arms stretched open wide, those arms that are offered to you are the arms that are pierced in love for you. He loves you so much. He longs for you to be made whole again, to be put back together. So would you just pray a simple prayer? It doesn't need to be out loud, just deep within your heart. Jesus, heal me. Restore me. Renew me. Put me back together. He's not going to make you go on this journey alone. So who are the people that come to mind right now in your mind? Your community, the people who are going to walk with you, the people who can pray for you about this thing. Who are you going to reach out to? Northangley, Jesus died on Friday at 3 p.m. And they put his body in a tomb on the Sabbath where he rested. And on the first day of the week, Jesus rose from the dead. Do you see that in your mind? The risen Savior, do you see him? And he invites you into a permanent day seven rest. He invites you to experience his rest. And he has all authority to speak into those places of death and bring life. He has all authority to give you mercy and grace in your time of need. Jesus has all authority to forgive you, restore you, and make you new. See the cross, see the empty tomb, and hear his invitation again. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Northangly, let's stand together. As we stand, we see these words again. Do we feel the world is broken? We do. Do we feel the shadows deepen? We do. But do we know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? We do. And do we wish that we could see it all made new? We do. Our prayer team is going to come forward here. Anything anything that's on your heart, any burden, any need, would you come forward to receive prayer? We have a prayer room in the back as well. If you need prayer, join our team back there. But this is just an opportunity to stand up. Look, you just stood up and it's time to praise God, right? That's the first thing we do is when we're straightened up, it's praise, thanking God for his love and his life. And so God, we come to you and we thank you for all the good things you've done in our lives. God, we thank you for your love, which is poured out 
upon us. And Lord, we thank you that you are taking broken things and putting them back together. And that includes our lives. We love you so much. And we are so grateful for this journey that we're on as we watch you bring your Sabbath rest into our lives. And Lord, we pray that in this moment you would heal us and begin that process of putting us back together. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.